Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Moth House Games Podcast. My name is Delton. I'll be your host today, and with me, as usual, is my lovely wife and yellow player, Haley. Howdy, howdy, howdy. This is episode number 161 of the Moth House Games Podcast, and the first episode of 2024. How many years we've been doing this now? I don't remember. Is this six? Maybe. This is the start of year six. Yeah, because I dropped the first episodes the beginning of 2018. 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24. This is the beginning of seven. We finished sixth year. Beginning year seven. Welcome to the beginning of the seventh year (laughs) of the Malt House Games podcast. We are a podcast all about board games, tabletop games, role-playing games, card games, things of that sort. And typically an alcoholic beverage, but we decided to commemorate dry January today. Uh, Dry January, for y'all who don't know or are not aware, a lot of folks like to take a break from drinking alcohol in January to kind of give themselves, I guess, a cleanse or a break from the beverage because oftentimes New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, Christmas, all the holidays are uh, holidays that are celebrated with alcoholic beverages. And we have done that as well. We did, of course, partake in some fantastic Christmas beers and brews over the holidays. And so today's episode, we actually are going to take a break from that, celebrate dry January ourselves. And Delty, what do you have? Today, I have the classic, the simple, the clean Sprite. I've always loved the lemon-limey, carbonated goodness of Sprite, especially if you can get a really good can or bottle. But this is just a two-liter poured-over ice, uh, and that's where we're at, and I love it. What do I have? You have Sprite with pineapple juice. Yes, y'all are sleeping on this. It is half pineapple juice, half Sprite. It makes for a delightful cocktail. In the summer times, I will add a shot of gin to this, and it makes for a great little beverage to enjoy my kiddie pool as I'm batting away mosquitoes. Cannot complain. Very light and refreshing. But for dry January, just half a glass of pineapple juice with half a glass of Sprite. It is enough to make your night. It is delightful. You said cocktail. It's a mocktail. It's a mocktail. Yes, I did see that the Jones Assembly. So Jones Assembly is a like dinner theater thing here in Oklahoma City. They have really fancy dinners and you can, they, you know, have live shows there as well as they move the booths and the tables and have concerts at the venue. But they are having a a fundraiser this month where they're inviting 10 of the top bartenders in Oklahoma City to compete and make mocktails. And so you can buy a ticket to go in. It actually supports one of the rehabilitation clinics and nonprofit organizations here in the Metro, which is awesome. But yeah, the bartenders are all competing, making, I think they each make five different cocktails. And so when you go in, or mocktails, your ticket gets you samples of almost everything. So I thought that was pretty cool. That is really neat. There's also American Solera, the brewery near us, as well as I think Rough Tail and a few others are carrying some special either mocktails or special non-alcoholic selections during this time. So it's really cool that so many places are supporting uh, not only just the occasion of people taking a break from alcohol, but also it helps support those who just don't drink in general for whatever reason. When they go, if a friend wants to go to a brewery, they have more options rather than water or one or two non-alcoholic beers. So that's really nice that they're adding. And hopefully it's something that if it does well enough, they can keep on a constant rotation to make those places uh, just more welcoming, I suppose, to uh, more walks of life. Right, because if you go to a party, you have a celebration, you don't necessarily just want to have a Sprite or Coke. Like, it's nice to have, you know, something fancy, even if it's not alcoholic. And so it'll help, I think, those who abstain from drinking, those in recovery, 
those who just don't want to kill their livers for an evening or the DDs, or just be able to have something fancy and fun for the evening. And so if you want to venture out more than just having half a glass of pineapple juice or half a glass of Sprite, then I encourage you to check out one of those local breweries and see what's on tap or on brew or what would you call it? On make. See what they're making. Sure. Check out those mocktails. But that being said, Delty Poo, what have we been up to the last two weeks? Or almost three weeks. It's been almost three weeks since we've recorded. It has been. Uh, what was the last one? Was It came out Christmas Eve? Yes, it came out Christmas Eve. So we got to have Christmas with my family and with Riley and Lakin and spend some time doing all that kind of stuff without going into details of all that jazz and driving and this and that. It was a good time. We got to see family and be happy and just have a nice time visiting. visiting. A lot of driving happened over the past three weeks. I'm tired of buying gas and having to drive. Uh, but it's been a good time at the holidays. And aside from the holidays, we bought two couches. We bought two couches. Uh, also wrapped up filming for the movie I've been in. Yeah, we'll get to hopefully see that in 2024. Yes, I'm very excited for that to come out. I will not be able to share anything until it's out. But stay tuned, my friends, both to this podcast and to your local movie theater. It's been a whirlwind. It has been a whirlwind. It's been incredibly exciting. And I just have to say, if you've never been a movie extra and you are just curious, just sign up. Just do it. I mean, worst case scenario, you get like 10 bucks an hour and free food. It's dope, but you should totally check out uh, being an extra. Super easy to do, super fun, a wonderful experience, and I'm ready to share it, hopefully second quarter of next year, to be continued. So we've done that. What else have we done in the past few weeks? I do want to talk about wrap-ups. I want to talk about how many movies I watched, talk about how many board games we played, and some of those statistics for the year. I would like to talk about that, but I'm trying to think of what else we've been doing that isn't too far off from the norm. <laughs> I think what we've been doing this week that's been nice is I've been watercoloring. You've been playing with Legos. Yep. Been baking some cookies. We've been watching The Bear. Been watching The Bear. Holy geez, possibly, possibly, possibly the best TV show I've seen. You think so? It's It's up there. It's very high up there, personally. It's very, very, very good. But yeah, I think what's been really wonderful about the last week is that it's just been chill at home. Yeah. And so, Delty, tell us about your 2023. Tell us about your wrap-up. So, for the wrap-up here, the first thing I wanted to look at was our stats for board game plays in 2023, which were better than 2022 and, and 2021 and 2020. We actually did better than all. Everything except for 2018 on my phone, which is when I started tracking. Oh, wow. Tell me about our stats. So this was a much better year. Um, in 2023, we had 261 plays of 157 games. 77 of them were my copy. So ones I owned. We played in 10 different locations. 49 total players. Only 36 of them have been named, which means I've put anonymous because they're people that we play a game with, and then we probably won't again. Uh, total time, about a 194 hours, which is crazy. Uh, 49% of our games have been played at home, which adds up. Saturday is by far the biggest day for gaming, followed by Sunday, Friday, then Thursday. What percentage of games are played on Saturday? Percentage of games played on Saturday. Let's see if this breaks it down. Uh, 40% on Saturday, 15% Sunday, 14 Friday, 12 Thursday, 
Then it's six on a Tuesday and 4% tie for Monday and Wednesday. Nice. Yep, pretty interesting. Uh, in terms of locations, it's kind of the usual, but home, Brian's house, Jennifer and Nick's, BGG Con, Riley's house, and then a brewery, Token Con, a brewery, Cody and Jen wins, and I had one logged play on Tabletop Simulator. Nice. Uh, of our games, our most played game in terms of number of plays was Strike, followed by Dorf Romantic, Master Word, which you, I don't think, played. Maybe you did play a time or two. Uh, followed by Final Girl, Cubitos, and then Kites. The biggest month was August with 48 plays. Because we were at Nick and Jennifer's. Uh, a lot of stuff happened there, yes. So that's very helpful for getting those plays in. By the way, I mailed your stuff to you guys. Hopefully you got it. So that's our board game stats for the year. Uh, much better than literally every year since 2018. 2018 was like 333 games or something. And then 2021 was like 77, which sounds about right. Uh, so it's nice to be back up to a higher number. And it's not for like trying to be at a higher number. It's just playing games and having the time and motivation and everything like that. So that's really nice. And then wrapping out my movies last year. I know that I usually talk for a second about movies. Um, I'm letting it load up here. Letterboxd. I did 168 movies last year for a total of 281 hours. And only 20 of those movies did not get a like from me, which is good. And as for my wrapped for the year, of all the dumb stuff I got to do, I, I more measure my wrapped of the dumb stuff that I try or the new things I try. So number one, of course, seeing a movie extra. Number two, getting my uh, National Incident Management System certification level 100 and 200. Got my NIMS. Uh, then I got Skywarn trained. So I took the class to become a registered storm spotter with the National Weather Service, and then I took a class in order to get my ham radio operator's license. Still need to take that test. It was on its way. And I became a wilderness first uh, first aid person, certified first aid person. So I did a lot this year, too. Lots of fun certificates, lots of adventures, and I'm really excited for this next year's adventures to come, but we'll be talking about that at the end of the episode. But before we get to that, we have a couple more topics to talk about. Oh, here's the door. Uh, it's straight ahead. It's it's a game. So the game for this episode is one I picked up from one of the online retailers that I tend to shop at. It is a game called Deus, published by Pearl Games, which sadly is no longer a functioning company. Um, they closed their doors. I don't remember if it was last year or the year before. Um, Pearl is most known, I would say, for probably Ginkopolis and Twa and Black Pearl, or not Black Pearl, uh, Black Angel are probably like their biggest three. Maybe not Black Angel as much, but Twa is probably the biggest one along with Ginkopolis. Deus is also one of their games. It is designed by Sebastian Dujardin, which is one of the designers, I believe, uh, in of Twa and Black Angel. Illustrations by Christine Deschamps, Mizda, Ian Paravel, and Paul Lafond. The rulebook is Sebastian Duhardin, and translation is Nathan Morse. Deus is a game that is essentially, Haley asked me what genre of game that I would classify this as, or what was like the main mechanic, uh, basically, and it's an engine builder and a tableau builder with just like this teensy, teensy bit of what I would kind of say area control 
but you're not fighting over it. It's just who gets there first. So maybe just area claiming. I'm not sure, but it's mostly going to be a Tableau and Engine Builder. The game is going to be card-based with some tiles on the board composing up a little world or a little board for you all to play on. So the tiles have seven spaces total on them. And a two-player game, you put four together, three-player six, four-player seven. So it makes your little world. Each player is going to have a little player board Uh, which is going to be where it basically gives you some iconography telling you what the actions are going to be for offerings to the gods. It tells you the little reminder of you can spend four money for any resource at any time during the game, and it's going to give you places to put your little buildings that later will go out on the board, as well as give you the column colors for you to organize your cards to make sure everything is organized properly. During the game, You're going to do two things on your turn. You're either going to construct a building, which is done by playing a card, paying the cost, putting the building on the board, and then activating the cards in that column from bottom to top, depending on the color and if there's any cards there. Uh, Then you can also instead make an offering to the gods, which is essentially an, an easy way of saying, I really need something. How can I get it? I'm going to make an offering to the gods, discard some cards, and get some bonus stuff in the process. So the way the game plays, whenever you want to build something on the board, you have, like I said, your little player board, and you will have two of each building type on that player board. Two boats, two little production buildings, two pop can cylinder buildings, two houses, and two little people that are the armies. All of those are considered buildings in this game. Here we go. Maritime, scientific, military, production, civil, and temples as well. But temples are not part of your own player stuff. They are separate. On your turn, if you want to build a building, you say, hey, I'm going to build this production building. You put it in the column for production buildings, you pay the cost, you put the piece on the board, and you activate everything. And what makes it so nice and simple is this is one of those games where there's different strategy to it, there's different ways that you need to adapt on your turn and different things that you need to do, but it's nice and simple. Like, all the turns themselves, playing a card to build a building is not difficult. Making an offering to the gods is not difficult. Putting stuff on the board, not difficult. Like, it's one of those games that looks, it's a little outdated in look, I would say. Um, the tokens definitely need to be replaced. The The resource tokens, just because the ones I have are very, like, faded, painted kind of wooden tokens. But all in all, uh, the game's actually very simple. And I think we both felt that the first time we played it. Once we got going, we were like, oh, well, that's not actually as hard as we thought it was going to be. Right. So we played this two-player, and then we played it again today, three-player with Brian. And whenever he was explaining the rules to me today, like at first, it did not click. Uh, In my defense, I spent uh, the first half of my day at a trampoline park with two seven-year-olds. And so my cognitive and physical energy was way low, as it is kind of right now, too. But... Whenever he was explaining the rules, I was like, I, I I, didn't get half of that. I was talking to Jessica. I had a phone notification. I wasn't paying attention. But I was confident. I knew that once I saw one round being played, that it would all click and I would get it again. Because it's been probably six months since we played this the first time. Probably. And so sure enough, after the first round, I was like, okay, I remember everything. Everything clicks. But it was that way, too, the very first time we played this game. Whenever he first explained it to me, I was like, oh, my gosh, it's a lot to keep track of. But literally after one round of a two-player game, you're like, okay, I know how this game functions. I know what to do. It's really simple. It really is. 
And even the actions on the cards like aren't that difficult. Some of the production cards will say something along the lines of pick a region that has one of your production buildings on it and make goods equal to the number of buildings on that tile. It's like, okay, simple. I have a production building there and I have a, the cylinder scientific building there. So I'll make two wheat resources if it's on a field or whatever. And that's nice and simple. Now, where the game really actually has something different to it, because so far that all sounds probably pretty normal. We're going to play a card. It's going to do a thing, gain some resources so you can buy, buy and build more things. Not too bad. But like I said, there's a column of cards uh, for each of these colors. So if you play a production card and that pr card goes in the production row or column, then you activate those cards from bottom to top. So when you have the first one there that says that, where you pick that field and whatever, you pick the field, you make your resources cool. Well, then the next production building you play, it goes on top of that, higher up in the column. You activate the first one where you pick a field and you make those resources. Then you activate the second one where it says you pick a mountain and you make those resources. Boom, I've made a bunch more stuff now. And you do that for all, well, heck, what did I say, five colors? Yeah, all five colors are going to be the exact same way. The military, where you're going to be moving, possibly attacking or taking points off the barbarian encampments or taking points or money from your opponents. You've got the maritime ships, which is going to be trading and selling things for money. You've got scientific, which is generally activating another color or another card of another color. And then you've got whatever the brown one is. I can't think of the brown color's name, but you can activate those, the civil buildings. They're going to be a lot of point making where it's like, if you have a building on this type of region, make one point for each building in that type of region or something like that. But you'll activate them and pretty soon you're going to be activating an entire little, you know, two or three or four card column, getting multiple activations and having a little kind of engine running. Not to mention, there are certain cards that allow you, like I said with Scientific, to trigger cards within other columns. And that way you just kind of have a nice turn where you boop a doop boop boop. I've made a bunch of resources. Now you can pay for those bigger cards. Now you can pay to put a temple out. Temples are a special card in the game. Depending on play count, there's only so many temples available. If all the temples have been built, that is one of the two end-game triggers in the game, along with clearing the barbarian encampments. And once you build those temples, they are going to give you end-game scoring. So you want to build temples, and you preferably want to build more than one. Building those is going to cost one of each resource. You put it in your tableau, and that's that. You can only build a second if you have one card of each other color in your tableau, then you can build your second, you can build a third if you have two of each color, and so on. But that's going to be the main function of the game. You're playing those, you're putting something out on the board, expanding your cities, or reinforcing those regions by adding more and more buildings to each one, and sometimes that's worth bonus points depending on your temples and things like that. The other action you can do on the game is making an offering to the gods. Each of the colors is technically associated with one of the gods, and I believe in this it is all Roman gods. Yes, because military is Mars. The way you do that is you take cards from your hand and you discard them. You discard them all face up, but you don't show all of them. You only show one card, the card that will be face up on top of the stack on the discard pile whenever you place all the cards there. The color of that card or the column that it corresponds to will have a specific action that you're then allowed to do. 
whether it be getting more buildings prepared to put out on the board, because you have to have them prepared essentially first and on your player board, not in your general supply. It could be being able to draw more cards once you draw up your hand limit at the end of the offering. It could be getting money. It could be getting resources. So those are a nice way to kind of not only reset by just dumping your hand to get more stuff, but it gives you some bonus abilities as well as ways to say, I'm not, I have not been able to get this one resource. I'm going to make an offering, get the resources I need, and then draw up to a full hand. Next turn, I'll have what I need to do or whatever. Do the same with money. Temples, if you do an offering at a temple, you can then pick, it's kind of like a wild, any one of the other colors to do its offering ability. The offering is stronger based on how many cards you play. For example, the blue maritime. If you only discard that blue card, you get two coins. If you discard two cards, it's four coins. If you discard four cards, it's eight coins and so on. And that's going to be the two big actions in the game. That's pretty much it. It's playing a card to build a building or it's making an offering to get a special ability, which really just helps you keep going and helps you refresh your hand whenever you are needing more cards, more options, or something like that. There are some variations in the game that we have yet to play with, and I actually just read one of them while Haley was talking about something in the introduction, and now I think that it needs to be something we probably play. So one is alternate start, where basically instead of starting with two buildings of each type, you can actually choose a total of 10. And they even say if you're expert players, you can do six or seven, and you can pick what ones they are. Uh, They have alternate game board setups, but the best one is the building wildcard. Uh, It's a variant designed if you want to reduce the luck of the draw. Once per game, you can choose uh, to construct a building action without having uh, to consider the card color. You flip it face down, pay one gold if it's the first, two gold if it's the second, and so on. So you can take a card, flip it face down, put it in the column you want, and then activate that column of things one time in a game. So it's like, I cannot get a production building and I need to run my production you can force a production once. And I was like, that's kind of a cool, nice little, like, once a game, I get this savior option to pull me out of a hole. But that's the entire game. I've probably actually made this way longer than it needs to be to truly describe how to play. I just wanted to make sure to try to get it across a bit. I think it did a good job. The game really is simple. I know that Delt has explained a lot of the components and a lot of what you can do in the game. I have. But it is really simple, like he's saying. You have your cards, you play your cards, you can either play them up here, you can sacrifice them to the gods to get more resources. It's really not a complex game. And honestly, it fits into a realm for me that I really like, which is that middleweight Euro game. I really enjoy heavy Euro games, obviously. I mean, I'm a big fan of, I don't, I, I don't think I would put Gugong in a heavyweight game. Gugong is probably part of this middleweight class. But I enjoy heavier games. I like sitting down with like a Teotihuacan or sitting down and playing like a Brass. Some of those games, Dominant Species, that's just like, this is going to take a while. It's massive. It's a lot of thought process. But then when you have something like Deus, like Gugong, like, uh, uh, I don't know, Notre Dame, some of those games where it's going to take an hour, maybe an hour and a half. There's good strategic options of what you're doing but you're not really going to be stressing and thinking that hard about it. There's something about that realm of games that is just pleasing because it it itches, it scratches the itch of wanting something that's got some think behind it and some strategy and some whatnot. 
but it also scratches that itch of, I don't want to burn my brain out. Right. It's great if you only have maybe a couple of hours or if you have, you know, a lot of things you want to play that day or if you have new people that you're introducing the things. Or, like Del said, if you want to play a crunchier game, but you don't have four to six business hours to dedicate your life to. Exactly. Deus fits pretty well into that slot. I feel like this is one that fits on the shelf. Now, I have the Egypt Egypt expansion. I have not played it yet. I would like to play that to see what it adds to the game. If it, uh, you know, improves the luck of the draw a little bit by adding anything or just kind of what it does. But uh, I really like it. I think Deus is fun. Sadly, I believe it is currently now out of print and all these copies are just older ones to find. It was published officially in 2014, which is a while ago. 10 years ago. 10 years ago. Jeez, it is 10 years ago. I try not to order board games from Amazon. It is available on Amazon for the cheapest option right now, Uh, but it is also available through Noble Night Games, Tabletop Merchant, and Miniature Market. Um, It ranges anywhere from Amazon at the lowest at 27 right now to Miniature Market at 48. I got it on a sale at Miniature Market, which is an you know an online. They technically they have two local stores uh, up in Kansas City, St. Louis. One of those two. I think it's in St. Louis. Um, but they have a physical location. I picked it up on a good sale through them. So there are still copies around. It is acquirable. If it sounds or looks like something that you might enjoy, I say do it. I like the game a lot. But yes, hopefully I can report back when we try the Egypt expansion at some point. One of the things though that we did enjoy about this game that I feel like is something I like in different games and like to see presented here and there is how it's one of the games that forces you to diversify in your strategy. Hey, what can I get you? I'd like a topic. Any special way? Make it a top shelf topic. Coming up. Enjoy. So the topic of today's episode is strategic diversification. Delton, what is that? Now that I've said it right the third time, I tried to say it. <laughs> I think you speak the third most Italian. <laughs> I do speak the third most Italian. Diversification. Diversification. <laughs> uh, yes, the topic for today's episode, we wanted to talk about strategic diversification because I wanted something that would tie in with Deus very well, and we struggled to find something that tied in with Deus very well. That we hadn't already covered, I should say. But we liked the idea of strategic strategic diversification. And what that essentially means in game terms for us, or at least for me, is that a game, rather than having multiple strategic options for the way you're going to win, it essentially says, no, 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 you have to kind of do everything and gives you what's basically one strategic option to go for. One of the ways that I talked about this is in something like Agricola. In Agricola, You can raise sheep, you can raise cow, you can have pigs, you can also grow vegetables. You can choose to do none of those different things, or at least not all of those things. Haley never raises animals in that game. She only plants veggies. And that's a viable strategy, and she generally wins. Most games aren't that way. Most games that say, I say most games aren't that way. Some games aren't that way, where they, when they say you can plant vegetables and you can also raise livestock. You must do both in some capacity or it's impossible to get around doing both. Deus is one of those games where you can try not to do something. You're likely not going to win if you try not doing that. 
you need to play cards in each column. You need to play a card of each color because it's going to be more options for points. A lot of the in-game scoring requires you to have situations that only can come from playing everything. It's just a game that you must diversify in your strategy and you must make sure to do a little bit of everything and not just try to be the guy that only puts boats on the board. Yes, and to compare again to Agricola, if you were to try to do everything in Agricola, you would fail miserably. Yes, you would. There is no way you can try to be the best farmer, brewer, baker, uh, cattleman, all of that jazz. And so, yes, with this one, you, like Del says, you have to do everything. You have to try everything. Um, and the quicker that you get your feet into everything, the better your game is going to go. Because, like Delton said earlier, whenever you're building your temples, the first one you can build whenever. But after that, you have to have invested in each of the different areas for you to be able to build another temple. And temples are the main way for you to get points. Yes, and so this is something you brought up to me before we recorded the episode today, is to to you, this game feels like it's a little bit more of a race. And I completely agree with that because you're racing to be the one to not only surround uh, some of the barbarian encampments, but have the most armies there so you can get the points from them. You're trying to be the one that has uh, preferably the most temples that you've built, which means you have to have played uh, for your first temple. You can just play it. Second temple, one of each card, uh, one of each color card in their columns. For the third temple, two of each color card in their columns. And each temple's in-game scoring, so the faster or more efficiently that you can get to that point, the better you're going to do with the game. So it really does turn it into a race versus just a game of who picked the better strategy and implemented that strategy best. It's who took the you know this situation we're all in and was able to most efficiently make decisions and uh, perform the different actions in an efficient way. Yes, this game really rewards efficiency because everyone technically has the same strategy. Like you have to slash need to uh, pay attention to every single area on your tableau. It's just like Delt said, who can do it the quickest, who can do it the most efficiently. And I thought I had it today. By God, I thought I did. I had two temples. I was about to build one more building so I can get my last temple. And was it Delt or it was Brian who bought the last one, right? Yes, he did. So Brian bought the last temple, and so that effectively ended the game, and I was not able to do my last two turns, and it really showed because I was really banking on that. Because, again, even though you can get victory points from some of your cards or from uh, some of the, was it barbarian areas, most of your points are going to come from temples. And I think that I've learned uh, through this discussion and discussion we had before that I prefer games that I can choose a strategy or choose to specialize in one area rather than having to pay attention to everything. I I don't I don't think I not that I don't like this game. This is a good game, but I think I much prefer the ability to specialize and like pigeonhole myself in the one area. That is something you're usually good at because I mean like in Agricola, you never raise animals in Agricola. You only keep vegetables. <laughs> You never do livestock. You never take food for fish or fish for food or whatever you want to say. Uh, but And you generally win the game. So it obviously works for you in some capacity, right? So I could kind of see that because I'm trying to think of games uh, now that we've started down this line. I'm trying to think of games that are more, a little bit more of a race where you're doing, you're all doing the same thing 
and you can't sort of stick yourself in a corner and say, this is what I'm going to focus on to try to win. Because that's a little, not that all games require you or give you the option to diversify so strongly, but there are games that make it easier to branch away from just what seems obvious or maybe just branch away from trying a little bit of everything. Because like in Agricola, if you try to do a little bit of everything, like you've said, you're probably not going to do very well. I feel like Euphoria is another one of those games that you have to really pay attention to everything because I never pay attention to the sky and it always comes back to bite me in the ass. Yeah, Euphoria, which is an early Stonemeyer game we have on our shelf here, uh, it does have an interesting thing like that where if you really want to benefit from one of the areas or one of the sections, uh, we talked about this, what was it, episode 145? 145. 145. If you wanted to, like, if you're going for the the underwater people or the water producing section or something, that you actually get a benefit for doing something with another section for that one, and it kind of makes you look at things and go, I got to do a little bit of all of this. I can't just focus in one area and do one thing the whole time. And so it does. It makes it, even if it's not a race in terms of a time, it is a race of efficiency, which I guess you could argue is also a race of time, but... Yes, it becomes kind of a race when everyone's doing the same thing and you're just trying to get to the end game with the most points. Who's more efficient at making the points? Who's more efficient at ending the game? That's true, because if you are more efficient at making points, you're generally going to be pushing the game toward its end faster. So what about for you, Delty? What do you find yourself preferring? I don't know is the answer there. I like the games, I think, more that you can or you have to kind of do a little bit of everything because I have a very hard time if I get to focus on one little thing I'm generally going to hone in on it and it's not going to go super well however sometimes the same can be said about games where I need to do a little bit of everything because then sometimes I have a hard time looking at everything versus just one but I feel like for me where everyone's doing just the same thing the whole time and there's not a chance for you to pigeonhole yourself into one specific small strategy, I feel like those games are a little more my direction, I think. But honestly, I don't have a super preference one way or the other. I'm sure at some point in time I'll find a game where I go, no, I like it for this exact reason, or yes, I love it for this exact reason kind of thing. I think from my general observation, I think that you typically tend to win more of the games that require you to pay attention to a lot of different things. It's because it matches my ADHD <laughs> bouncing around everywhere. All ADHDs. Yeah, that's why I always lose Agricola horribly, but I've won Deus both times I've played it. And you always win Euphoria, too. I am really. I feel like I'm really bad at that game. Not as bad as me. That's true. That's true. But yeah, I like those kinds of games. Um, I need that. There's so many games on my shelf I'm looking at going, is this one one? I don't know. It's been a minute. Is this one one? We played this like two weeks ago. And I'm like, mm, I don't think it is. But now when I, and then I start to think about it and overthink everything. I think it's all kind of on a spectrum. Like you're oh, going to have sure. games that are very much hardcore. You have to pay attention to everything versus games. I, I can only pay attention to one thing at a time in order to win. And it, I think it's just all about finding where on the spectrum do you lie? What do you tend to prefer on that spectrum? And again, not that I didn't like Deus. I just don't think it's on my side of the spectrum. And I think that's completely fair. 
And luckily, we live in a wonderful world of board games that have so many things to consider. Gestures wildly to the shells behind me. Yes, don't knock anything over with your wild gestures. But hopefully that makes sense for strategic diversification. If it doesn't, I'm sorry. (laughs) But hopefully it does. This releases in 12 hours and 16 minutes. And so that being said, it's 11.44 p.m. on Saturday the 6th. I'm so tired. Let's talk about what we're looking forward to (laughs) in the next year. Sleep. Sleep right now. Looking forward to sleep right now. It's next year, right? Now. Now. (laughs) Before we go. And go. And now, join us for a Malthouse Games podcast special, Bite Size Question. So, yes, New Year's resolutions for 2024. I have none. I think our shared resolution this year is just to maintain. We want to maintain saving for Japan, which now we can say we're going next year. We want to maintain our healthy eating. We want to maintain, maybe increase a bit our exercise. Yeah. I have a personal goal. (laughs) Oh, I don't know what it is, and I don't want you to say it because I'm going to judge you again. My New Year's resolution is to get forklift certified. Yay. There is a course at Francis Tuttle, which is one of the Votex here. And it is four hours of your life and $42 to get OSHA-compliant forklift certified. And by God, that is my goal for this year. I'm going to pass my radio exam, get forklift certified, and play some games with a handsome man named Delty Poo. I hate it. I uh, I think that a shared resolution of just maintaining is good because, uh, as we've talked about personally outside the podcast, is we feel like we're in a good spot. and. I always make resolutions and resolutions and stating something that you're, I'm going to do, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it all year. The minute for me, the minute that I fall off the wagon somehow, the minute I fall behind, the minute I miss a day, then I, I'm very bad about, well, I guess that's over. And I feel like we've made such good small changes and small improvements or small tweaks to life in general that are positive for us. Like you said, whether it be trying to exercise more or trying to focus on healthy eating, smaller portions, things like that, or trying to, you know, play board games more. I've been trying to play music more. You've been trying to paint more. Those are things we've done within our life outside of it. And I feel like when we do it that way, if we don't do one of those things, painting, drumming, exercising, for a little bit of time, we haven't just failed our goal. And I feel like for us, we're just in a spot where right now it's let's maintain this. Let's Our resolution is to keep doing what we're doing because we think we're doing good. And I like it. I like it too. But that's okay if you don't have that and you have a real resolution because I've like done that a lot. Like getting forklift certified. Like getting forklift certified, like drinking more water, like partying less Jennifer and reading more books <laughs> Things like that. Those are absolutely okay. Don't let us discourage you from having fun goals for yourself in the year. I just see goals like this as chores. So <laughs> it's it's easier not to have them for me. And for me, they're super motivating. Yeah, we're very opposite. Last year, I was like, I'm going to learn something every day. I'm learning to play Go. And I did Go puzzles on my phone for like two months and just did that and did that and did that. And then I kind of stopped. And then my whole learning everything every day, I watched a lot of movies. So... <laughs> You know, there's where we are. Hey, that's okay, too. It happens. But yes, I think that's the resolutions-ish for 2024. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Malthouse Games podcast. I want to big give a big, I want a big, I want a big yeah. shout out to be given by myself to our Patreon patrons. 
Thank you so much to Alan, Jennifer, and Cliff for supporting us at a level in which you get shouted out on the podcast. If you want to be like them or any of the other amazing patrons, head to patreon.com slash malthousegames. You can also find us on social media at Malthouse Games, M-A-L-T-H-A-U-S Games. You can find Haley at S-Q-U-I-R-R-E-L-Y-G-E-K. We are mostly active via Instagram anymore because Twitter has turned into a hellfire and Facebook is still for people 75 plus. So we're basically on Instagram. Uh, I don't post nearly as often as I should, but that's the easiest way. We're not cool enough for TikTok. I never will be. Cool is also a debatable term there. Uh, If you want to tell us about a game you think we need to cover or give us a topic that you want us to talk about or a question you think we need to answer, or even if you have a beer suggestion or anything like that, you can send an email to contact at malthousegames.com. You can also send us uh, a message on Instagram or something like that, and we will get back to you as soon as we recognize it. Uh, and I remember, or if I do it immediately, sometimes there's a delay. I'm so sorry. ADHDs. Yes, there are 80 of them on my phone. I think that's everything. I am very tired and going to go brush my teeth and go to bed. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Malthouse Games podcast. We hope that your holiday season was fantastic and welcome to 2024. We're happy to have you. Until next time, sit back, relax, grab a drink, and play some games. We'll see you folks later. Goodbye. Bye.